Well, have you ever noticed that when there's something new in your life, something incredibly new, that, that there's this excitement, this anticipation that comes with something new? In fact, maybe when you, you ordered something, whether it was a new phone or a new car or, or a new relationship or, or a new job, maybe, maybe your anticipation of it was so great that when it showed up, when it came and it arrived, or when you, when you got that job or you met that girl, only to find out that, that everything you had hoped for wasn't sustainable in it. In fact, isn't it interesting that everything in this world that is new becomes old? In fact, everything becomes old. The, the excitement of something that's new dwindles. It dwindles. You're hoping for something to simplify your life or, or something to, to bring clarity to the chaos and the noise, and what you find is that it just adds to it. And maybe for a moment you're excited. And maybe just for a second or, or a day or a week, it seems to be upholding its promises only to fall short. That ultimately nothing can fulfill, nothing will, will sur survive this world and hold the promises that it does except for Jesus Christ. See, why is it that when we look to these things for clarity, we look to these things to bring new or hope that ultimately they always fall short? See, on such a historical day as today, there's a problem for most of us. And that's that this is nearly 2,000 years of Easter. So to most of us, this isn't a new day. This is just a new year where we do the same old Easter thing. And, and the problem with that is that, that you have some preconceived notions. You have some conclusions that you've drawn that might be hindering you in the newness that you were called to, in the newness that you were made to experience. See, our brains are fascinating. Neuro neuropsychology has studied, and they figured out how we retain and move information. It's just, it's baffling how complex and amazing our brains are. Yet at the same time, they're incredibly lazy. Our brains are so lazy. In fact, anytime we receive new information, what our brain does is it, is it, it creates a new path. And that new path leads us to new conclusions. And those new conclusions come from experiences. But the problem is sometimes, because of our brain's laziness, we hear something new. And what happens is our brain starts looking for key words to jump back into those old ruts of the same conclusions it's already had. Our brain is so lazy sometimes that it doesn't really want to travel into uncharted area. It doesn't really want things to be new. Our brain is so lazy that we hit words like Bible, or Jesus, or Easter, or Christian, and every single one of us have already got a conclusion on what those words mean. But the problem is some of us have, have arrived at those conclusions with the wrong information. We've arrived at those conclusions or those experiences because we were treated poorly, or someone did something incredibly wrong and, 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 and ruined your preconceived notions or your, your, your conceptions of what you have now in them. So what I want to challenge you guys, what I want to encourage you guys to do is maybe just this Easter, come to Easter and, and, and try and, and force your brain to not get stuck in an old rut. It's like if you skied or snowboard and you're out on the hill and you're, you're going down the hill and you, you keep getting stuck in the tracks, but you see off to the left this fresh powder, this uncharted area, and everything inside of you wants to go there, but the, but the downhill force and the ruts that are in the way keep forcing you to get further and further and further down. 
what I want to encourage you guys is, is let's let our brains go into uncharted areas today. Let's challenge our thinking to actually open ourselves up the way that this would have felt this day nearly 2,000 years ago would have felt to the disciples where they didn't know that they would be celebrating a risen king today. See, because Easter symbolizes newness. And you and I, maybe, maybe just you and I have settled for a lot less than what Jesus became new for us. Maybe we've settled for a lot less. See, Jesus changed our very existence into something new. Would you let yourself feel like it was the first Easter? See, it's two days ago we celebrated, celebrated because we know the outcome. Jesus dying on a cross so that you and I could be forgiven and have a right relationship with God. But could you imagine what that felt like for these people at this time? In fact, we have a few accounts there's a couple disciples in Luke 24. They're walking down the road um, from Jerusalem. They're leaving Jerusalem defeated, in pain, hopes completely shattered. In fact, they say these words. They're actually walking with the resurrected Jesus, but it's concealed from them. They don't recognize him. And as they're telling Jesus about what happened, they say, we had hoped. We had hoped, but our hope is gone. See, they had hoped that Jesus would come back and crush Rome. But all along, Jesus had something bigger planned. All along, Jesus had something bigger to what he was going to do to each individual. Two questions arise from a couple different people. Some women get up, defeated, shoulders hung, sad, walking to the tomb with some spices. They're in immense mourning. Maybe even they've had a hard time sleeping. Because everything that they'd hoped for in Jesus at this moment was crushed. And they go to the tomb and they, and they, and they, they see that the, the, the stone is rolled back. And when they walk in, that, that Jesus isn't there. In fact, they're met by two angels. And these two angels ask a question that I think is so relevant to you and I today. He looks at them and says, why? Why are you looking for the living among the dead? So my question for you is, why are you looking for new life in the same old ruts? Why do you keep hoping that something in this world will make you new or bring you joy when ultimately that is just looking in the same old ruts, the same conclusions that lead you to hopelessness? See, Jesus came because they were clamoring, clamoring for a new way to live. People were so shattered before even he died. There, there, was this, there was this existence of, okay, I can make myself right for a moment only, only to be old again. Something can be new in one second, and then shortly after, it's, it's old. See, and Jesus didn't come. He didn't come to make some better version of you. He didn't come to make sense just to add a little bit more chaos to your life. He didn't come to make you bear this world a little bit more. No, Jesus came to change you completely. He didn't die. He didn't come here to live a perfect life, die on a cross as our sacrifice for sins, be raised three days later, be victorious in our lives so that when we believe in him, so that you could just tolerate each other a little bit more. No, see, he came to make every single aspect of your life new. He came to make everything new. He came to set us back on track. He came to free you to be what you were designed and originally made to be. 
And he is the only one that can do that. And he is the only one that can make us go into uncharted area, area, uncharted territory, to where we can live new. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This word confess means to acknowledge as true. You acknowledge as true and enter into a covenant relationship with him. You believe with everything that you are. And he says that Jesus is Lord. That word means supreme controller. See, I think so many of us are so afraid of news sometimes, instead of allowing Jesus to control or lead our lives, we try and put him in the back seat. He says, no, no, you confess, you believe, and you get out of the way. You die to yourself so that you can be new. And when we do this, Ezekiel 36 tells us that he removes a heart of stone and implants in us a heart of flesh and gives us a new spirit, not a used spirit, not a spirit that gets old, a new spirit that is, that is our way of living, that is our direction. No more old rut, but a new path. No more same old conclusions that lead to, to hopelessness, but one of hope. Jesus brings clarity to the path. Jesus brings clarity. It's like those, those, those guys on, on the road to Damascus, or on the road from Jerusalem. In a moment when, they, when they're walking, there's so much chaos. There's, nothing makes sense. And in an instant, Jesus starts to bring clarity. He starts to focus us in. They had hoped for so much more. They had hoped for so little compared to what Jesus was doing. So what are you hoping for? Are you hoping that this new job will bring you peace and joy in life and, and everything that only Jesus promises? Could it be possible that just like the disciples on that day, their hopes were too small? Their hopes were too little. Luke 24, 30 through 32 says, when he was at the table with them, this is Jesus, he took the bread and blessed and broke it. Here's resurrected Jesus. And he gives it to them. And their eyes were opened. And they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, don't miss this. Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened up the scriptures to us? See, in an instance, chaos and, and, and messiness in the world that doesn't make sense and all the hope and of, of things being new, in an instant, their eyes were opened. In an instant, their hearts began to burn with inside them something that they couldn't contain or control. A newness that finally made sense of everything else that they'd seen in this world. A newness that when art that you did before Jesus, now art has a purpose. A newness that, that when you look at your life, it's no longer what these things in this world can bring hope. It's how those things in this world are following you as you are led by the Spirit of Jesus Christ who is risen. Like the tap on a stand when an orchestra is tuning. In an instant, Jesus made all things new when he left the grave. So my question for you is, what are you hoping for today? What in your life feels like the old ruts with the same old conclusions? What needs to be transformed by the newness that only Jesus can bring? What have you been expecting from Jesus? What are you hoping he would do See, Jesus reorients our world. He doesn't just alter it. He reorients everything. Everything looks different through him. He puts us back on the right track. 
when we have a burning heart and our eyes are open for the first time, those things lead us into the kind of freedom we were created for, and it is not containable, and it is where we are meant to be. It is where you and I thrive most. When we are burning inside and our eyes are open to what Jesus has done and will continue to do at making all things new in this world. To be human and to be alive is to have expectations. There's really no way to avoid this in life. My guess is this morning when you woke up and rose out of bed, you had a set of expectations as you approached the day. My guess is when you walked through the doors of the Egyptian theater here this morning, you also had a set of expectations. Expectations are unavoidable for us. It's part of what it means to be alive. One of the challenges we face, though, is that in the world we live in, we can be conditioned to experience and expect very little out of life, maybe a diminished expectation. And the other option might be a distorted expectation. Diminished expectation is sort of like living our lives in these small sorts of ways, with a lack of joy and limited adventure and all sorts of limited intention for our lives, a diminished expectation. On the other hand, though, there is distorted expectation. And the distorted expectation forces us to live our lives informed primarily by the past, by our past experiences that have a tendency to distort our present reality and affect future possibilities. And while our past does, in fact, shape our present and inform our future, that's not the whole story. That's the beauty of it. Expectations can be new every day. One thing is certain, that if we expect very little from God, we will experience very little from Him. But if we begin to expect much from God, here's what will happen. We can begin to move into the spaces and places of the miraculous. Now, the realm of the miraculous exists in the unknown, in the unfamiliar, in the uncertain spaces and places in life. The unknown and the unfamiliar and the uncertain are experienced in freedom. See, here's the, the beauty. Resurrection is the declaration that freedom is not just a future reality, but it's also a present possibility. Freedom, though, uh, is a bit more complex than we give it credit for. It would be maybe safe to assume that freedom for us could be described as the removal of all the boundaries and the barriers and the limitations that go along with life. And the assumption is that the more of those I remove, the more free I become. But what if removing those boundaries and those barriers and those restrictions in our life does not have the capacity to move us more towards freedom, but it actually moves us more towards captivity. 
See, a life without boundaries or limitations or restrictions is a life without intention. In the very beginning, God established creation and he set everything in its proper place. Now, everything in its proper place also included right restriction and proper intention within the created order. There's this moment where God is speaking to Adam and Eve. And what he says is, eat freely. Enjoy. I created all of this for your pleasure. Eat freely. And then he says, with one exception, there is a tree that I've placed in the middle of the garden. It's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if you eat from that tree that I'm instructing you not to eat from, life will never again be as it's supposed to. Something will fundamentally and foundationally change for you. And not just you, but it will reverberate out into creation. It changes everything. He says, you will surely die. From the very beginning, God established creation and set in place proper boundaries and right restrictions so that we could live into the freedom that he created us to experience. And then there was this moment, this interaction that took place where they they took from the tree that God had instructed them not to take from. And in that moment, Death burst onto the scene. It was as if, in the very beginning, when God created, he spoke. And with those those first words, let there be light, there was this note that rang out in all of creation. And all of creation was actually in tune with this note. And then there was that fateful moment where they took from the tree, and in that very moment, dissonance broke onto the scene. It broke the harmony, and not just Adam and Eve, but all of creation found itself out of tune with the God in whose image it was created. Things were not as they were supposed to be. Adam and Eve found themselves, the Bible says, east of Eden. The Bible describes this as a movement, There's a a direction to it. It says that they moved east. And it's this reminder that they're moving in the wrong direction. When we find ourselves looking for freedom in the removal of restrictions and boundaries and limitations, what we discover is it doesn't move us more towards freedom. It moves us more towards captivity. Freedom isn't the removal of those boundaries and those restrictions and those limitations. It's the presence of the right boundaries and the proper restrictions that actually bring the freedom that we were created for. It actually brings the freedom of new life that is waiting with bated breath to be unleashed. The most beautiful things in the world have boundaries and limitations and restrictions that create the space and the place for that beauty to exist. Maybe much like the painting. The painting has, by its very nature, a a restriction and a limitation and a boundary. That canvas is only so big. 
The canvas isn't the only place with those boundaries. The paint that's being used starts with a limited palette. There are only three primary colors. Red, blue, and yellow. That is a very limited place to start. And it's from that limitation and that restriction and that right boundary that we have all of the other colors that get created. But there's a starting place, a limitation and a boundary that create the context for that beauty to exist. A river is magnificent. And a river has banks. And those banks provide a place for us to stand and explore and consider and be in awe and wonder. The banks have a very particular purpose for the water as well. And it's to keep it moving in a particular direction, to point it in a particular direction. But what happens is, anytime that water begins to move beyond the banks that contain it, there's some sort of destruction that ensues. And I wonder if the same isn't true for us as well. We were created to function within proper boundaries and right restrictions. Our boundaries and limitations, though, are defined very specifically by Jesus. And he says, those boundaries are love. I love love the beauty and the simplicity of this. It's love. Resurrection has at its core, as center, love. (laughs) Chasing a life absent of restriction actually moves us away from the freedom that we were created to experience. By boundaries, though, and restrictions, I do not mean legalism and rules that weigh us down, that are ill-fitting and inappropriate. There's a place in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 where Paul says this, He has made us competent as ministers of a new law, not the letter, but the Spirit. For the letter of the law kills, but the Spirit brings life. This is our boundary. The Spirit of the living and resurrected Jesus becomes our boundary and our limitation and our restriction. Which, what we discover rather quickly, doesn't diminish our life, but it actually unleashes it. Freedom, by its very definition, moves us towards the uncertain, the unfamiliar, and the unknown. I wonder if it's possible that that these are the reasons that so few of us ever experience the sort of freedom that we were created for. These are the places of fear. It's the place we spend most of our life avoiding. But it's the place where God does his absolute best work in us. This freedom that we were created for has a particular requirement. And the requirement for this is faith. Faith gives us the courage and the confidence to step into the unknown and the uncertain and even the unfamiliar where God will and actually can do his best work in us. But the challenge is, again, that is the place and the space where most of us spend our lives avoiding because of the fear. We love, we love, it could just be me, We love the safe. Anybody else? The secure and the familiar. 
Have you ever found yourself in a place where it's unfamiliar, unsafe, unknown? All of these uncertainties begin to well up inside of us. What we'll establish and determine rather quickly is that in life, what we fear will establish the boundaries of our lives. And the invitation from Jesus is for him to be that for us. And what we discover is that that does not diminish, but unleashes the life we were created to experience. The Bible says that faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And I love the definition of that because there's this uncertainty, this unknown, this unfamiliarity that requires faith. Stepping out into a place or a space that you have never been, that you've not experienced. Faith is the essence of that, that gives us the courage to step into it. And when we step into it, what we are met with is life. And not just any life, new life. Life that is full of wide open and spacious places. The Apostle Paul also says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide open, spacious life. We didn't fence you in. The smallness that you feel, it comes from within you. Your lives aren't small, but you're living them in a small way. I'm speaking as plainly as I can and with great affection. Open up your lives. Live openly and expansively. And is it possible in order for us to experience that, that we must be diligent in removing the ill-fitting and unhealthy boundaries and restrictions of fear that lock us down, close us off, and prevent us from experiencing the freedom we were created for. We can live a life where fear of the unknown and the uncertain prevents us of experiencing life that is truly life. But maybe that fear comes from a place of only knowing who you've been or who the world tells you you are, rather than considering the possibility of who you can become in Christ. A life that is pushed by possibility and pulled by expectation into a future that has unknown and uncertainty, where we are met with the miraculous and that place where God will do his best work in us. And maybe the question for us to consider is, what are we waiting for? What prevents us? What stops There was a family vacationing at a lake house. And one afternoon, the father was in the the boathouse tinkering and the four children were out on the beach exploring and splashing in the water. And the oldest sibling, the daughter, had the responsibility of making sure that all the other kids just simply stayed alive. That's it. Nothing else. Just make sure no one dies. As she's taken in and taken back by the awe and the grandeur and the beauty of the place that she's in, she loses sight of her younger siblings. And little Billy, who's just a wee one, notices off in the distance there's a dock, and tied to the end of the dock is a tiny little silver boat. He takes off, blazing down the beach. Sister has no idea. She's, She's struck by this moment of beauty, and Billy is blazing down the the beach. He takes a hard right at the dock and gives it everything he's got, one step after another. He gets to the end of the dock, and he lunges for the boat. 
And he comes up just short, splashes into the water, sinks straight to the bottom of the lake. And in the commotion, older sister looks and screams at the top of her lungs, which catches the attention of dad who's in the boathouse. And he comes racing out, recognizing there's only three instead of four children and sees this place in the water that's rippling. Something has gone wrong. And he races down to the dock, runs to the end and dives in, reaching and splashing and desperately seeking for his son. Before he finds him, he runs out of breath and has to surface. And he surfaces, takes a huge gasp of breath and dives straight back down. And he's searching and reaching and wondering, where in the world is my son? And then just at the last minute, he touches the edge of his son's shirt. But he's out of breath. He has to go to the surface again. And there's this moment of the final breath back down to the place where he knows his son is. And he dives clear to the bottom of the lake and finds Billy latched at the very bottom of this pier post, hanging on for dear life. And he has to pry his son's arms off of the post. And they shoot to the surface, gasping for breath, moving towards the beach. And dad says, Billy, what were you thinking? What were you doing? And Billy's response was, Dad, I was just waiting on you. I knew you were coming. Just waiting on you. I wonder if that's not the question for us. What are we waiting on? What prevents us? What are we clinging to and holding to that prevents us from experiencing the freedom that is available? Life that is new life to the full. What is it that you hold tight to that gives you the capacity only to see the world in its upside-down place. That if you would let go of it, you might, for the first time, be able to see and consider that what Jesus is doing on that resurrection morning is he is turning the world right side up again. There's this beauty, this excitement, this consideration, this possibility that exists in resurrection. And it requires us to move away from the fear and into the unknown, into the unfamiliar, where Jesus will and has and can do his best work in us. It's freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. And maybe this morning you're here and you're considering this for the first time. Those pathways that Bryn talked about uh, are creating new possibilities and new considerations. And you're wondering, is it possible that Jesus is who he says he is, can do what he promises he can do, and in him we become who he says we are, sons and daughters of the resurrected King. Maybe this is the space or the place where you consider that that is real for the first time. And maybe you believe in Jesus and have never taken that step to actually follow him a place that moves you into the uncertainty where you've never quite been before. It will require more of me. And then maybe you have done that work. You follow Jesus. Let me tell you, there is always more. More life, more possibility, more beauty, more truth, more goodness, more, more, more. There is always more. Resurrection. It's about taking the chaos of this world and turning it right side up again.
bringing the clarity and the freedom and the life and the possibility and the expectation that we all long for. Resurrection is the insistence and declaration that a whole new world is breaking in right here in the midst of this one. And that everyone, everywhere, if they so desire, can be a part of it. So this Easter morning, may your hearts begin to resonate with the note that was struck that first Easter morning. And may you begin to ask the question, what does all of this mean? And may you move out of the chaos of looking for the living among the dead and begin to experience the clarity of looking for life among the living because he is risen. May you begin to sing a new song. Father, we thank you that this life is abundant and available. We thank you that you have not left us abandoned and alone, but that you are calling and drawing us to consider a possibility of life to the full in the place of freedom that we know is available. God, may you give us the courage to step towards it this resurrection morning, and may we do it fully and completely. We thank you, Father, and we pray this in the resurrected name of Jesus. Amen.